begin uh, discussing and, and, and exploring that, that book together. And uh, so Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we'll, we'll read from the beginning and read our, our section for today, where the scriptures say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your Word. You could have uh, dropped some special rock out of heaven or built a, a place that we all need to go or carved some words on the wall of a cave or something, and we'd all have to travel there to, to, to see and to know. But you chose instead to speak through your people. You chose certain people to record your words to us, to lead and guide your church throughout time. And so we thank you that we have these precious words from you, and we thank you that, that they speak across cultures and that they inform us and, and speak to us about things that are of first importance. And, and sometimes we, we read your word, Lord. We read the, the, the first chapters or the first verses of books, and, and we just want to move on to what's most important to us. But Lord, you chose to speak to the church in this way. And so as we begin this time in the book of Colossians as a church, Father, I pray that, that we would see that the things that, that you had Paul put first in the letter are things that are of first importance. And that we don't move on from the things that Paul speaks about in, in this place. That these are of great Importance and that they are of great focus for us. And now in our culture and in, in, in our lives today, perhaps more important than they were from the view of those who were looking at the church than they were 25 years ago. Lord, we, just, we ask that you would help us to see your word and to respond to it the way that you call us to, in faith. To, to say, yes, Lord, instead of yes, but refusing to embrace what's said because we have some objection to it or because life is difficult or because we don't feel like it or, or circumstances within the culture of change. No, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to say, yes, Lord, 
and to embrace your will for our lives and the community that you are building. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your kindness. We pray your blessing on this time in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a product that uh, advertised itself with the catchphrase that you'd never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? A first impression is uh, a, a, a lasting uh, perception or a lasting uh, assessment of who someone is. When, when you meet someone, you, you gather details from them. You, you, you get, you get uh, a sense of who they are, and they're, they're friendly or unfriendly. They're angry or they're happy. They're social or they're not. You like being around them or, or you don't. And uh, sometimes you'll, you'll be talking with somebody after knowing them for a while, and they'll, and they'll say, you know, when I met you, I thought, Right, and they're like they're they're uh, they're unloading their first impression. Sometimes it's it's really funny uh, what what they thought of you. Uh, impressions are important. An impression can can be backed up by behavior, right? It can be reinforced by behavior, and that becomes uh, we we call it a reputation, right? And and some people like if you say to someone you're going to get a reputation. Right. You're 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 leaving a word out of that sentence. You're going to get a reputation. It means you have a bad reputation. Right. You're going to you're going to you're going to have a bad rep um, that 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 people are going to know and they're going to want to uh, steer clear of you. But the way that that uh, that that we interact with people, many times we, we're we, we talk to our friends, we say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet up with this person or I'm going to get to know this person or I met this person and they will then unload the reputation on you, right? They'll say, oh, this is what they're like and this is what I've heard. Um, reputations are important. There's a, there's a story that a, a pastor told about a man that he saw who was so focused on making a good impression and establishing a, a, a good reputation and how easy it might have been for it to go astray. This is, this is what he said. As I sat with my family at a local breakfast establishment, I noticed a finely dressed man at a nearby table. His Armani suit and perfectly pressed shirt coordinated perfectly with a power tie his wingtip shoes sparkled from a recent shine. His hair was in place, including his perfectly groomed mustache. The man sat alone, eating a bagel as he prepared for a meeting. As he reviewed papers before him, he appeared nervous, glancing frequently at his expensive watch. It was obvious he had an important meeting ahead. The man stood up, and I watched as he straightened his tie and prepared to leave. Immediately, I noticed a blob of cream cheese attached to his finely groomed mustache. He was about to go into the world dressed in his finest with cream cheese on his face. 
I thought of the business meeting he was about to attend. Who would tell him? Should I? What if no one did? You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Sometimes impressions are... Uh, they, they, you just, you, you react to someone, you pull away from them and you say, you know what? No. Other times you, you hear about someone or, or uh, a, a group of, of people and you think like, I need to know them. I want to know them. I want to be part of what they're doing. Paul had had been uh, ministering for a, a period of time in the city of Ephesus, probably about two years. It says they took up referen, uh, residence in this uh, uh, academy. It was called the School of Tyrannus. Like, you will never go to a school with as cool a name as that. That's awesome. The School of, of Tyrannus. Um, and so he, he taught there, it says, for two whole years. And the, and the church in the city of Ephesus grew. And in that city, during that time, he met a man named Epaphroditus, uh, you know, that's a tough name to say, and so they shorten it a little bit to Epaphras or Epaphras, depending on how you pronounce it. Either one's okay. My rule for Bible names is just say whatever you're going to say, stick with it, and, and, and say it with confidence, and no one will know the difference. Uh, they may disagree with you, but you can just look at them with a, a level face and not let on that you don't really know how it's supposed to be pronounced. So uh, Epaphras, right, he heard the teaching of the gospel, and he was excited about it, and he believed, and then he went home to the city of Colossae. And he went back to this city, and he was a believer in Jesus, and he did what believers in Jesus do, and he started sharing the gospel. And this church broke out, right? They, people began to believe and grow, and he then decides that it is time to go back and, and visit Paul and find out how Paul's doing. And so he works his way back through the network and finds out that Paul is in prison and joins up with him to, to try to help him, serve him, see what he's doing. And he says, oh, by the way, I started sharing the, the truth that you taught me, the truth that I believed, and a church grew. And he tells him things about the church, and Paul is thrilled. And so he writes a letter to them to encourage them and help them and strengthen them. This was a, a church that, that had a reputation that Epaphras brought with him, and he, he shared, and Paul was just overjoyed, and he wrote this letter. And I think that there are some amazing, powerful, encouraging things in here that, that can help churches say, and, and believers say, what is of first importance? What must we focus on? And, and what do we need to keep doing that the Lord would be glorified in our midst and that our reputation would be similar? So let's take a look at, at three areas with the Colossian church what their reputation was. First, they were known for their faith in Jesus. They were known for their faith in Jesus. It says in, in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
This might not be uh, something that's like immediately strikes you as profound, that their reputation is that they had faith in Christ Jesus. But let me say this, is that what people usually lead with when they say something about a church? When you ask somebody, hey, you know, wh- wh- what's your church like? Or, oh, you've left the church. What were they like, right? Do they usually start off by saying they love Jesus? No, they usually talk about other stuff, right? In the New Testament, when we think about churches and we, we look at the word, we find that there are churches that have horrible belief systems, right? Paul has to write a letter to the church of Galatians and say, you guys are messing it up big time. Fix it, right? They were known, the church in that city, for having a completely messed up theology. There are churches that are known for having horrible behavior. Paul had to write not one, but two letters to the Corinthians. Scholars believe that there were actually three or four letters, two of which we don't have in the New Testament. He wrote them and and sent them off because they believe the gospel, right? And then they they said, oh, there are all these other things that we can add to it and behaviors that we can embrace that, that don't line up with the Christian life. And so they were like crazy acting nuts in that church. Paul's like, you need to get your behavior in order, folks. You're not acting like Christians. James writes a letter very early in the New Testament period as the church was growing and spreading. And he says, you need to watch out for your attitude. Because for many of you, it is not right. You're full of pride. You're arrogant. You treat the poor like garbage. That's not right. And so he, he corrects What's going wrong there? Paul takes note and says, you are a church that is strong in your faith in Jesus. So strong, in fact, that Epaphroditus was excited to come and tell me about you. And that's what he, that's, this is how he described you, that you have great faith in Jesus. A faith that people talk about. People talk about negative things when they talk about churches, I think, many times. They talk about bad experiences in church. They talk about strange doctrinal ideas or weird things that pastors have taught. A lot of times there's discussion of of worship music, right? Whether the music is bad or whether it's good, whether they like it or they don't like it, whether it's loud or whether it's quiet, you know, whether it's traditional or whether it's uh, contemporary. They talk about church size. That church is shrinking. This church is growing. This church is too big. This church is too small, right? Usually framed in a negative. They talk about pastors. I think it was uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon who, uh, when, when he was, when he was uh, preaching to his church, one Sunday morning, he said, um, I don't know specifically what you're going to be having for lunch this afternoon, but I know that many, uh, many, many people often eat pastors for lunch in the afternoon. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting. If you look through his sermons, he often had these like, please stop talking about me comments in his sermons that were, uh, were, were pretty well stated. When people talk about churches, many times they talk about gossip. Part of the reason is that as human beings, we focus on the negative. We focus on the sinful. 
We, we're, we're always looking for the worm and the apple. But, but uh, uh, another reason why churches are known for negative things is because they have focused on these things themselves. They have focused on growth as a, as a sign of health. They've focused on numbers, whether it's attendance or, or giving, or uh, they've, they've focused on building their reputation on, on being the place to be or the latest thing or on the cutting edge. And a church that builds its reputation on that, I believe, is doomed to fail. Because the church is not designed to deliver that kind of experience. It's designed to deliver a community. It's designed to point people to Jesus Christ. And if that's not the main focus, then the reputation will be bad. Why did this church have such a good reputation? Why was the impression that they created powerful? I believe it's what Paul points out here. He says, we've prayed for you and thank God for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Jesus. They didn't have faith in faith, right? A lot of people today, we've got a very casual attitude towards faith where we say, you know, you need to be a spiritual person. You got to believe in something, right? You just, you got to have something, you gotta, you got to have faith. Well, we don't put our faith in faith, right? You know, the universe, the rules that govern nature don't care about your belief. Like positivity doesn't protect you against the ravages of, uh, of, of what's going on out in the world, you know? We don't, we don't sit at the Thanksgiving dinner table and thank the turkey for being tasty. You know what I mean? It, it, that's not the way the universe works. We're also not to put faith in our own perfection. And I think this is one area in which uh, churches in the past, because the culture has been tipped towards Christianity and, and that as the, the dominant idea or religion in, in culture, churches have been able to get away with being arrogant in terms of their own perfection and have been able to say society should be like this. Well, now that culture is is tipping away, we no longer have the ability to say, you need to behave this way. Imitate us, because we're perfect. We're not. And everybody knows it. The good news is, churches should have never been putting faith in their own perfection or in their cultural choices or in their lifestyle choices. Instead, what the church ought to be putting its faith in and pointing to is the work. Now, let me say this again. What churches ought to be pointing to is Jesus. Pointing to him first and foremost. Pointing to the work of Jesus. This is what he has done. And it is good. Pointing to his character. This is who he is, and he is good. Pointing to his resurrection, this is what God, his Father, did for him because of his sacrifice for us, and it is good, and it has a meaning and an application to us. Pointing to the reign of Jesus and saying he is the one who is in charge of all things and one day will return. 
pointing to his second coming and what will happen to the world and what will be the benefit and the blessings of when he comes and raises the dead. Pointing away from ourselves, pointing away from our accomplishments, pointing away from all the things that the, that the world values and pointing towards Jesus and saying, everything you're looking for is there. They also had a good reputation, uh, not just because of their trust in Jesus, but because they had a hope for the future that was built on promises made to them by him, by the Lord. They weren't punching a, a clock or putting in their time or, you know, just, just doing something to, uh, to make them feel better about themselves or to earn God's favor, right? They, they weren't showing up to be seen by God. They weren't making social appearances in the church to make connections. A lot of people... Years and years ago, and I think that the, the trend is fading, they went to church to be seen. They went to church to be known as good people. Right? You, you see this often in election seasons where politicians start showing up in churches, speaking in churches, because there's people to influence there and they want to be seen as something. Uh, Russell Moore, who's a, a, a Southern Baptist professor and, and speaks to issues of culture, he said that the cultural shine has worn off of Christianity and that it's no longer seen as an asset to be a Christian. Now it's seen as a liability out in society. And that means, actually, he says that's good news for the church because now it means that people are going to have to count the cost again Amen. And, and to make a decision, do I want to be known as this? Am I going to identify with Jesus and, and what is distinct about him as, apart from what, what the culture values? And so he says that's good for the church. Their hope wasn't in something cultural. Their hope was in what God was promising them in the future. It says in verse 5 that, that uh, they heard... That, sorry, verse 4, that Paul heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and, and the love that they have for the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. They knew that God had called them to live a particular way now because of what was coming in the future. There were benefits to them spiritually in the present, but there were more to come in the future. And so they were faithful and lived lives of, of faithful service to Jesus. And so their reputation as faithful people, people who trusted in Jesus, grew. What kind of reputation do we have? What kind of reputation do you have? Every church and every Christian has one. And we have one with every person that's out there, every church that's out there. Right? There, there are opinions that are formed based on our behavior. Some of them are unfair, right? Sometimes relationships get off to a bad start. Maybe you can, can think about a job that you've had in the past where on the very first day you just opened your mouth and out came, like, ridiculousness and the boss was like yeah I don't know about you and then it carried on and on and on 
But reputations can grow based on behavior. Wouldn't it be amazing if when people spoke about you and they spoke about your church, if they said, those are people who believe in Jesus. Those are people who love God and his word. Those are are people who have great faith. Part of this, uh, accumulating this reputation, just means that when we're out in the world and we're, we're at our jobs and we're talking about things, that we need to point people to the word. And we need to point people to Jesus. And we need to make sure that we consistently do that. And then they will see what we believe is most important. The Colossians had a reputation for their faith in Christ. If, if we are steadfast in our faith and we focus on the word and, and we share what we believe and the content of what we're sharing is focused on Jesus, then in time our reputation will be that our faith is strong. And then we need to take steps and actions and do things that we believe are taking risks, stepping out based on what we know and what we believe God would have us to do and doing it whether we, we believe that, that we are guaranteed success or not. We do the right thing because it's the right thing. We, we act on faith that, that God will be there to lift us up and encourage us no matter what our feelings circumstances or, or, or the cultural trends tell us. We walk by faith and our reputation for faith will grow. Second, they were known for their love for all the saints. They were known for their love. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Their good reputation included the fact that they were loving people. Toward Jesus, toward the Father, they expressed faith, right? God spoke to them, called them. uh, He he was uh, uh, calling upon them to live a certain kind of lifestyle and to put their faith and trust in Christ and to bear fruit in the world and and to give testimony to the truth. And they embraced it. They, they believed it. Toward their brethren, towards other believers, and towards other people, they demonstrated love. Not just love for one another, but love for all the saints. All the Christians, not just those in their church and of their particular local tribe, but all Christians everywhere. All Christians in, in different places. There are churches in other regions. There are churches in other countries. There are people who uh, to embrace the call to take the gospel other places or to strengthen the work, like our missionary friends, who, who go and who don't, they, they don't suddenly not need love because they've moved, right? They, they need connection and they need care. The, the guys that I've had the opportunity to minister down, down to down in Ecuador, the, the pastors there, their standard of living is, is so low. They are so poor that this missions organization formed to bring them teachers 
to bring teachers in because they will never get to go to conferences. They can never afford books. Like they, they just do not have access to these kinds of things down there. And so when, when you go and you teach, you know, like I, I, I don't know, I'm just doing my thing, you know, not, not doing anything particularly special, just opening the word and sharing it. And, and the guys are just super excited Sometimes they're, they're hearing things that they never knew from God's word and they're weeping because somebody's teaching them things. Uh, a, guy, a guy came up and he, and, and, and he was tapping me on the chest. Uh, and, and I said, um, I was like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and, uh, and the translator said, he said that the things that you're saying are coming from your heart and they're landing in his heart. And man, what do you what do you do with that? Like, wow, you know? And I'm like, I'm just I'm just telling what I know. I'm just sharing from from the word. But but the way that he looks at it, right, is that this church, this body of believers let me go, encourage me to go, pay for me to go, and I was willing to come and to share and to teach them. And they're like, who are we? And I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm like, you guys are pastors. You're on the front lines. You're teaching the people. Like, you need, you need the truth. What, what created that experience? What creates the experience of, of going and loving and strengthening believers, whether it's in Zambia or any other country, it's, it's that we have love for one another. Love strengthens the relationship. It's funny because in 2012, when I was thinking about going to Zambia, uh, it was like, I have this, I have this content to teach. I'm going to go teach these guys who need to know things, right? Like they need to know this stuff, right? And now when we, when we talk about Zambia here, it's like, they're all names, Right. You know, there are there are people um, uh, you guys put up a picture of of, of Kennedy and uh, I leaned over to Melissa and I said, there there's the pre- I call him the president of Zambia. Um, that's just who he is. You know what I mean? He's just got this big personality. He's he's a human being, not not just a nameless face. One of the reasons I think that the church has a bad reputation in our culture is that we come across as domineering and argumentative and know-it-all and uncaring. And sometimes people, they just hate to hear these kind of proverbs that people throw around. But, you know, people say nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, that, okay, proverb does not show up anywhere in the Bible. And if it's like in the back, like in some like note somewhere, like in the last couple pages, it's okay. You can like take that out because it's not, it's not in the text. Don't tear up your Bible. Don't do that. Let me tell you what is in the Bible. This is in the scriptures. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The the evidence that the church is present, the evidence that that Christians are 
uh, are, are true disciples of Jesus, the evidence that someone is a follower of Jesus is not everything that they know or their effectiveness as a communicator or, or their, their resources or, or the circumstances that God has blessed them with. The evidence of whether or not someone is a follower of Jesus is whether or not they have love for one another. Whether or not they are a loving person. Whether or not they care. And one of the things that I think is so brilliant is there's no competition here between effective communication of the gospel that's smart and intelligent and sharp and knows facts. There's no, there's no conflict between that and being kind and being loving. Those two go together because care is the key that unlocks the heart. And truth enters the mind and makes its way to the heart. And when truth is present and the Holy Spirit speaks and pushes, life emerges. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You know, everything about everything that God has done rises and falls on love. It rises and falls on love. I think about what it is that I believe. I was, I was, I was talking, uh, I was asked to come over to Crew and to talk to the students. Uh, praise the Lord, Crew seems to be growing again. They were, they were in decline and they were down to about, I think about 60 students, 50 students, 60 students a meeting and they were just shrinking down. When I, when I got here years ago, there were like three or 400 students there. It was like a mob. They were just like, wow, look at all these people who love Jesus. Um, and then, and then it slowly, slowly shrunk, but it seems like it's, it's growing again. Praise the Lord. I love that. Uh, and they asked me to come and talk about, uh, where is God in difficult times, right? And so John 10, right? Uh, I am, I am, uh, the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, um, they, they, no one can snatch them out of my hand is what I was talking about. That's, that's what, I, where I was, where I was focused. That Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And, and I said this, the, the, the struggle that we have many times as, as believers, when we, when we think about our salvation, we think about God's faithfulness, and we think about whether or not he cares for us and whether or not he'll be faithful to us, is that, is that we're basing all of that on information, things that we think about God, right? Well, I've committed this sin. Is that, does that take me away? Do, am, I, am I out of his favor? Does he, he not care? And I said, you need, you need to drive a stake deep into the ground. You need, to, you need to find a piece of theology, something that's true, a word about God from the word that tells you, the, that, that informs you about something foundational, bedrock, that's always true no matter what. You need, to, you need to find a starting place. And this is mine. This is, this is where I start. Ephesians 2, 4. Right after saying we're dead in sins and trespasses, like I'm aware of that on a regular basis, aren't you? I, I'm fully aware of my lack of perfection. My little you messed up meter goes off. Right? And it's like, ugh, sinner. You know? I messed up again. I failed. And then if the brain starts saying, are you a real Christian? God really love you? What, what do you do with that? 
because the, 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 the meter's on, right? You know, the, the feeling is, is saying, this is not true. This is not real. Some of that is your flesh. Some of that is the, the, the judginess of the world that loves to, like, say, look, you're imperfect, and, and blast that out to everybody. And, and a good portion of that is also the devil saying, you're wrong, you're bad, you stink. We know that we're sinners. We feel it. What I think we fail to do many times is to read on or to, to, to hide that word in our heart so that we can lay hold of it when we need to fight. Ephesians 2.4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is not just that, that God storms into the room like, what are you kids doing in here? Messing up everything I created. Behave yourselves. Love one another. You know, laying down some command. No, the foundation of all that he does in his program of redemption is built on the fact that he loves sinners. He loves us when we are imperfect. It's, it's not, let me fix them up and then I'll show love for them or fix yourself and get yourself all neat and clean and then I will love you. It's, this is his nature. His instinct is to love us. Before we trusted, before we did anything good, before we displayed any quality that was redeeming, any, any action that was good, it says that God loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, this means at our worst moment, God still had love for us. He is a loving God. And he calls his people to be loving. I, it's in my notes somewhere. I don't know where it is. I'm not going to look for it. But um, I don't want to get to it later. I want to, I want to say it right now. This is, this is one of the things I, I, I believe. We can always do more. We can always do better. But let me tell you something I consistently hear from people. People say that people at Harvest are friendly and that they are kind and that they are loving people. That is, is good. I'll tell you what, I, 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 don't, I don't like departures. They don't make me happy. Like when, when, when somebody says that they're going to move, you know, they're moving out of state. It's like, yay, you know, church reduction. No, nobody's, nobody's excited about that. But I'll tell you what, it's important. Last week, uh, Witt and Dale got up and, and, and shared. And there were some Witt moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what, what was he telling you about you? That's true. This is a church that loved him. And what grew and resulted from that, what grew out of it, was a, a, a growth of his faith. And life transformation. When, when he was busted. Think about that. 
love is transformative and redemptive. Many times we can, we can forget that and we think if, 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 if everybody would just stop being so dumb and believe what we believe, the world would be a better place. If they were just as smart as we were, right? If they would just stop believing in this dumb stuff and doing these dumb things and just get with it. That's not the way it works. Care and kindness and love You look at the example of Jesus in the New Testament. Man, people did all kinds of mean stuff to him and they were rotten to him. He responds with grace. Sometimes he says stuff that they need to hear. And that's okay. It's not fundamentally unloving to tell someone you're messed up, you know, like this. But, But he was gracious and kind towards them. And those who came to him in desperate need perhaps not thinking that they were deserving of kindness, he loved them as well. So let me, let me put what I'm going to say right now underneath the heading of 1 Thessalonians 4.10, okay? Paul looks at the church in, in uh, Thessalonica, and as he's encouraging them, he says, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Like, not start doing it, but do it more, right? And, and do it better and improve and grow. Because I believe this is a loving church. And so don't, don't hear this as, you never do this. That's, that's certainly not the case. If we desire a reputation like the Colossians, what can we do? One, I think we can grow in our diligence for our love for one another. And that means making efforts to become better acquainted with one another and figuring out how to love and serve one another. The more we know each other as individuals, the more we're able to say this would encourage them or this would help them or, or this, they would find this loving and caring. Some people don't want phone calls. They don't want visits, right? They want you to text them and you're like, I don't text. Everybody texts now. Right. Like anyway, uh, we we need to figure out like what is helpful and what is caring and what is encouraging. Unless we know people, we won't know their needs. We won't know their their stories. We won't know the pain they've gone through. We won't know how to encourage them or what they what they need to grow in their faith. And so we can be diligent in our love for one another and get to know people. We can demonstrate our love for the brethren by taking advantage of opportunities to be together. We're having a missionary dessert tonight, right? But I don't eat dessert. But we're called to grow in community. There's going to be an opportunity to get to know people, right? The church gathers and gets together. It's an opportunity to get to know one another and to grow in in fellowship and love and care. We don't just gather for information. That's not it, right? It's, it's, it's not the purpose of, of gathering together to just learn stuff. Yes, that's a part of church, but a part of it is to see one another, be seen, to reach out, to connect, to encourage, to gather, and, and to grow in our faith and care and our love for one another. A third thing that we can do is we can love past our differences, um, the, the folks at crew, they, they love when I say this, uh, cause I, I get up 
and, and I'll, usually, I'll usually do this thing where I try to get in like four sermons, um, and I'll say, you know what, I, I thought about teaching about this tonight, right? And then I'll say something else, but I decided not to talk about that. Um, and then I was going to tell you, talk to you about this, because this is important, and I, and I usually say something like, don't base your theology on what everyone around you thinks or on, on what you think is, is, is uh, culturally relevant. You know, base it on the word. Word-focused theology. And I'll say, but I, I decided not to talk about that. Um, and so I get a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that I always try to say is, this is not a church. Not this. This crew is not a church. This is not your church. It's funny, when it was all over, a guy got up and he's like, we always say, we say at every meeting, crew is not your church. Uh, it, was, it was funny, he wanted me to know like that, that they always say that. Um, but part of, the, part of what is fake, and I don't mean that they're not earnest and honest over there, because I think that there's a lot of faithful, good folks over there, but, but there's no young or old at crew. They're all the same age, right? They're all students. They're all like in the exact same boat. They got no money. They got student loans. Like their lives are all identical. Church is where there are people that are older and younger and different than you and banded together as a community around Jesus that, that loves and supports through all ages and stages of life. And so one thing that we can do as a church to grow in our love is to love past our differences. Uh, years ago, Nancy and I had just started going back to church. Um, you know, uh, she was she was on me like, you know, gotta go back to church. You know, grow in your faith. And I'm like, all right, you know. And uh, and then and then you know, the Lord grabbed hold of me, and and things just suddenly felt different. And uh, one one night, one of her friends called and said, hey, you know, we should go out. And she said, oh, we're going out. We're gonna go out. We're gonna meet up with our friends. And she said, oh, who? And Nancy said, Rudy and Marilyn. And her friend Tara said, what kind of names are Rudy and Marilyn? Like, what are they, 100? She was like, well, they're actually in their 70s, you know? And it was like, she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, they're our friends from church that we were going to hang out with our friends. It was like, what? You know, she was shocked. We can love past our differences in the church, young and old, loud and quiet, white and black, male and female, rich and poor, husband and wife, father and child. The church can grow in love for one another across all of our differences, political differences, cultural differences. We can find common ground and love one another. The one who has been wronged can make peace with the one who wronged them and they can grow in faith and love and care. And then finally, we can urge each other to increase in this virtue. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the impression and the reputation that we desire in the world? What is it, what is it that, that when, when people judge us, right? And we are living in extremely judgy times, aren't we? 
Like, people are afraid to say anything about their political beliefs or views for fear of just getting jumped on, right? No matter what your views are, you could have, you, could, you might have all kinds of good ideas, but people don't want to share them right now because people are so, like, they're just out there about everything politically. But when people say, this is what that church is about, what do, what do we want them to say? We want them to say, those are people of faith who believe in Jesus. They put their faith and trust in the Lord. And second, that they love one another. That's the reputation that we want to cultivate in the world. A church that has a great love for God. That we love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then that, that love expresses itself practically in our relationships with one another and those outside the church. That we love our neighbors as ourselves. We're going to close there. The encouragement is, is to just ask yourself, in what way, in which, which way should I grow and continue to be shaped? How is the Lord convicting you to to take steps of faith and then apply what you've heard. Maybe this is the first time that, that, that you have heard the, the message that, that God loves you even though you're a sinner. Maybe, maybe this is the first time. The encouragement is to put your faith and trust in him that this is true and that he loves you beyond that. And then he sent Jesus to take your sins upon himself that you could have his righteousness. And that he calls you into his family. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. Lord, there are are things that little churches, churches of just a few people and and smaller churches, churches that are are just a little gathering and and medium-sized churches, that's what we are. And and, and then ultra-big churches, there are are, are things that, that... Churches of different sizes can, can do. They can have different reputations. They can, they can be known for all kinds of things. But Lord, we want to be known for what you value. We want the reputation and the impression to be consistent with what you want. We want, if people aren't looking for love and they're not looking for faith and they walk in here and they hear what we're about and they walk off and they say, we don't want to be part of a church that loves Jesus. We want to be judged and rejected for what is important to you. Father, we also want to radiate what it is that that you call us to. We want to be seen, Father, to be walking in, in imitation of your character. Jesus put his full faith and trust in you and always followed the direction that, that you were leading him in. He always acted by faith, and we want to do so as well. He always did what exalted you and what demonstrated love to others, and we want that as well. Help us to walk in faith and in love, and let that be our reputation, Lord, both as a church and as individuals. We pray this 
knowing that you are good. And we pray it in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.